I, I think most of you know who I am, but uh, my name is Josh McGuire, and my family and I, uh, let's see, I'm not sure where Rochelle is. She's over there in the back, and Josie, my daughter, uh, we've been at Mercy Hill for about four years. Now, today, uh, as, as David mentioned, uh, I'm going to be giving the message. A series of men will be talking. So I wanted to just start this whole process off with uh, some prayer, and then we can jump into the verse. So let's bow our heads. Father, I, I pray, um, the, the thing that I pray for most is that you're here and that uh, you speak uh, through me um, using the Holy Spirit and that the words that I say are not my own but are yours. And everything that's not of you, just let it fall away. And everything that is of you, let it stick, Father, deep into people's hearts and in my heart to change us, to cause us to worship, to cause us to know you more. So, Father, I pray for all these things that you're here with us today, that we can learn more about Christ and what you have for us in him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about uh, verse in Colossians 1.24. And, and can we pass out some Bibles for, for those who might not have it already? Just raise your hand. Uh, the, the verse Colossians 1.24 is on page 983 in the Bibles we'll be passing out. But before... I get into the verse, I want to talk a little bit about why the verse was and is important to me. This verse was the decisive reason that I chose to adopt a Roman. And I, I was hoping that I might be able to share a little bit about how meaningful that was for me so that it might change your life too. Giving you a little background about the decision to uh, adopt Roman. Imagine um, last May, I'm in my car and I'm driving home and I'm thinking about all the things that have happened over the last you know, couple of years. At that point last May, we still had the foster kids or, or we had just lost them and you, some of you may know we adopted or were trying to adopt kids through the foster care system. And there were two of them, uh, a little baby who we got when she was just three days old. Her name was Mackenzie, but we just called her baby. <laughs> um, and her brother, who was a year older, named Skylar. And they came into our home and I have to say that's the hardest thing that we ever intentionally did to ourselves uh, because it, we wanted to adopt these children. But at the same time, because we were doing this through the foster care system, we wanted them to, and we committed to try and reunite them with their parents. So on top of all the red tape that you deal with when the government's involved and on top of the trips to Salinas, two to three times a week that took the entire day. We also had the emotional just turmoil and just being pulled apart every time we gave what we considered our children over to their, back to their parents, their parents who were struggling with drug addiction, who lived in unsafe places, who 
um, they just did things we wouldn't do. <laughs> and we had to give them over week after week after week. And then finally in May, when I'm doing this driving, I'm thinking about this, we had to give them back. And that was, that was like your child died. I, I even considered it worse than if they died. And I know that sounds horrible, but if they had died, they'd be with Jesus. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, they're still alive, and I'm glad they're still alive, but they're with people that are not Jesus. Um, I, they're with people who struggle with all these issues, and they will have all this in their life with drug addiction and, you know, potential abuse and all kinds of issues. So I was thinking about that as I'm driving home. I'm also thinking about the fact that my son, Christian, is uh, going to college in three months. He's there now. Uh, And I was thinking about the next phase of my life. Josie is just following him out the door. And um, I, I, I think about the future for Rochelle and me. We had kids when we were 17 and 18. Um, so we haven't had a lot of couple time <laughs> uh, together since then. So I was thinking about this new phase and, and just it could even be an opportunity to grieve a little more, to get over the foster kids and the loss there. So I was thinking about that and I was also thinking about the most recent thing that happened. It was a call from my sister-in-law, Rochelle's sister, Leah. And Leah um, has struggled with drug addiction and alcohol abuse for years, it, since she was a teenager, maybe even as a preteen. And she's been in and out of jails and rehab and on the streets and in horrible situations without food, without clothes. And we've been there with her. She's lived with us on and off. We have tried to encourage her. Rochelle spent hours and hours and hours. It probably has added up to days and weeks at this point on the phone with Leah trying to encourage her. Leah's in North Dakota, too, far away from us. So we get this call from Leah, and Leah says, I'm pregnant. Will you take my baby? And as I'm driving home from work, I'm thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm empty. There's nothing left. Um, I, I, you know, there's this new phase that uh, is in front of me, and um, I, I just, I just, I just don't know if I can do this. So I heard uh, on my way home. I heard a sermon, a sermon on this verse, Colossians one twenty four, and by the end of that sermon, God changed my heart. Not only my head, it wasn't like, I have now decided. Like, I wanted it. I wanted to adopt this child. And immediately after the sermon was over, uh, I called Rochelle up and I said, let's do it. Let's adopt this baby. So I want to tell you what this great verse is (laughs) and and explain um, how it changed my heart. So let me read it. Uh, But before I read it, just to give you a little context, this is what Paul wrote while he was in prison to the church in Colossae. And he was trying to correct some false teaching there, and the point of it was to really explain what the gospel is about and how to share the gospel. So with that background, let me read the verse. 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now what I believe this verse means, and it's a, it's a difficult verse to understand, um, but what I, what I think this verse means is that we are called as a body, just as Paul was, to suffer in a personal way before the world with our physical presence. Christ is not here. We are here. And we are called to suffer before the world so that they see that suffering and they glorify Christ. They know how much he's worth because they see what we're willing to go through for him. So how did I get there? Um, let's tackle the phrase, that what I think is the hardest phrase. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Um, this is hard to understand. So I think first we should talk about what it doesn't mean. Paul is not saying that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was lacking anything. There was nothing, there's nothing we still have to do uh, in order to, to be saved. Now, this, the Bible is full of scripture that makes this clear. I've picked out two that are pretty explicit. Uh, just to, to clarify this point, one in Hebrews. Uh, let me just go ahead and read this. But Christ, uh, the author's talking about Christ is better than the Old Testament priests. And he says, Nor was it to offer himself, Christ, repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he, that is Christ, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So it's very clear right there that Christ has appeared once for all. So there's something that's been done once and it's over. 1 Peter 3.18 has a very similar message. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. So again, there's just one suffering for sins and that's what Christ did on the cross. Now, Martin Luther before he became um, a Christian, he was he was a monk in the 16th century, and he's the one who helped usher in the Reformation. He used to beat himself black and blue because he understood that God is a righteous God, and he didn't feel worthy. He wasn't worthy, and so he was trying to do something to to somehow increase his worthiness before God. So he used to beat himself, and that was before he became a Christian. And what changed him was the realization of the truth of this verse in Romans. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. So we know that it's not anything we have to do. It's faith. So do we have to do anything to complete the work of Christ? No, no. That's not what this verse means. So if that's not what this verse means, what does it mean? <laughs> so, I think the key here is twofold. One, we know that the church's afflictions are Christ's afflictions. Those, those are 
the same in in a very real way. And we also know that the church's afflictions are not finished. They're not completed. They need to be filled up. So where do I get uh, the church's afflictions or our Christ's afflictions? There's two verses I have up here. 1 Corinthians 2 uh, I'm sorry, First uh, Corinthians 12, 26, it says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We know that Christ is the head of the church. Um, and we are the body. So when the body suffers, Christ is part of that. He's the head. He feels it the most, right? When you bang your finger, <laughs> what, what's really hurting? It's the head. It's, it's not just the finger, and again, we see this in Acts 9-4, when Jesus appears personally to Saul on the Damascus road. What does he say? Does he say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He doesn't say that. <laughs> he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So the afflictions of Christ and the afflictions to, of the church are tied together in a in a real permanent eternal way so if Christ's afflictions and the church church's afflictions equal each other well there's another part the church's afflictions aren't done and we know this because the bible says that every christian must suffer and there's still Christians here. <laughs> the, the church isn't done suffering. Look to your right. Look to your left. Uh, you should see at least a few Christians. Um, so there's still suffering to, to be done. Uh, Romans makes this clear in 8.17. The, uh, Paul is, is talking about the children of God and what it means to be a child of God. And he says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul says it's necessary as a Christian to be a Christian, to be glorified, to also suffer. Acts 14.22 also conveys this. Paul is encouraging all of the, the churches that he helped establish and he says, uh, to, he's encouraging the churches, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. So this is not something that we avoid. He doesn't even say some. He says many. <laughs> so there, there is suffering that's necessary for all the Christians who together make up the church. But this brings us to an important question. Why didn't Paul just say, I am filling up the what's lacking in the afflictions of the church? Right? He could have said that, and it would actually be a lot easier <laughs> to understand this verse. Why didn't he say that? I think there is a very important piece. And actually, this is what was so convincing and convicting to me on that drive home from work. So let me dig into that. How did I kind of un- uncover this piece? Well, I looked in other places in the Bible where you saw the same Greek word for lacking, which is 
hysterima. And I was looking for that Greek word in Paul's writings and also the phrase, you know, filling up something that was lacking. Those, those pieces together. And there are two verses that really stood out that helped explain this better. The first is in 1 Corinthians 16 and 17. I'm sorry, 16 verses 17 and 18. And this is the ending of the letter in Corinthians. And Paul is acknowledging three of the Corinthian leaders who came to him to help him uh, with service and were encouraging him. The verse, now you notice I have two verses up there. And one is from the ESV and another is from the NASB. And I think it's useful because the NASB is a little closer to a a literal translation. Uh, It's a little closer to the Greek. But you can see the the meanings um, of the two phrases that are the same. Let me just go ahead and read them and, and explain a little more. But the ESV says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. And then similarly in the, the NASB, it says, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit in yours, therefore acknowledge such men. What was lacking on their part? Of the, what, what did the Corinthian church not give Paul? It was the personal presence of the body. And so that's what these three leaders were able to do. They were able to fill up that lack by going there personally to help Paul with encouragement and service. We, we can understand how this feels. I, I think about some of the things that Ian Gregg has said about Morocco. He's told us that It's expensive to go to Morocco, right? It costs a lot of money to fly there. It costs a lot of money for Americans to stay there. We could just send the money and build three, four times as many houses, right? And buy food and buy Bibles and, and, you know, do a lot of good things. But that's not what the Moroccan people want. That's not what our body over there, the church wants. They want our personal presence. That's what's encouraging. They want us to be there with them. And even at this point, uh, Ian said, you know, we've built a lot of houses. They don't need houses anymore. They just need us. That's what they need. And this is the same thing that Paul is talking about. We owe them something and we send people to fill up that, that lack. Something very similar in uh, Philippians 2.30. And again, the context here is the Philippians had sent a man named Epaphroditus to help Paul. And Epaphroditus had gotten sick and he had almost died. And Paul is sending him back to the church. And he says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Same thing. Same thing. The church in Philippi owed Paul something. They owed him personal representation to help serve him. So the the next slide I have is a, a diagram that hopefully makes it even a little more clear. The first part of the structure 
is aligned with the verses that I just read in Corinthians and Philippians, where you have the church, the the people with their hands up, um, sending representatives, in that, that instance, Corinthian leaders and Epaphroditus, to Paul to fulfill what was lacking on that side. In that case, encouragement and service in their personal presence. Now, in this verse right here, Colossians 1.24, we have the same structure. There's something that's lacking, afflictions. And we, as the church, need, and in this case, send, send, to send someone, in this case Paul, to fill up what was lacking in those afflictions. So to, to summarize, I think the, the key verse and, and the kind of a key meaning here is that it's critical for there to be a personal representation, a personal presentation of the afflictions of Christ. There's something that we need to do as the body that Christ is not going to do. He's finished with his suffering here on earth. He's glorified in heaven, and he sent us to do that and to be the representatives, to fill in that peace that's lacking now. So what, what is the point of all this suffering? Um, I've, I've talked a little bit about it, but you know, I don't enjoy suffering for suffering's sake. We're not sadomasochists here at the church, right? <laughs> no one does. No one's like that. The point is threefold. Um, and I've noted the points here. It's a way to show the world how much Christ is worth in a real way. It is something that we can do. We can suffer because Christ suffered for us. And people can see that and we can point to Christ. And then the third point is, Christ isn't here. But I am. So let me expand on some of those points a little more. So Christ is worth it. There is no other explanation for why we would choose suffering as Christians than the fact that Christ must be much better than whatever we're suffering. Much better. I This, this point became very real to me during the foster care situation. When we were losing them, I, I felt like really everything was being taken away from me. And it 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 just pushed me to the the very bottom and just of of an empty grief it's it's kind of like dry heaving emotionally there was just a, a, an emptiness there but it also made me realize when i came back from that that i can lose my job i can lose my house i can lose my wife i can lose my kids including these kids as long as I have Jesus. <laughs> if I have God, everything else is okay. All the suffering, all the pain, all the anxiety and um, grieving is worth it if I have Jesus. And I can tell other people that, right? People know about my pain. And I can, I can explain it in a way that 
is real and makes sense. Uh, we were talking at home group a couple of nights ago about the most effective van- evangelism points in some of our lives, and it's after and through hardship. People believe what you say is true when you suffer for it, and how you respond to that suffering. It becomes real. Christ suffered for me, the second point. Um, it's a chance to explain a little more about Christ's suffering. I think about the verse that says, He who has been forgiven much, loves much. I think there's something similar here. He who has been suffered for much, can suffer. So, a little more backstory on Leah. This is not the first time she's asked us to adopt her child. She's done this at least two times before. Uh, m- m- several months before last year, she she called us and she said, I'm pregnant. I don't have a place to stay. I don't have any food. I need money for food. I need, I need some sort of housing. I need you to help organize um, trying to get me in rehab. I need you to help organize getting me to the doctor's office, make all these calls. Um, I, need to, I need emotional support. Spent a lot of time on the phone trying to encourage her um, and went through a lot of rigmarole um, emotionally and uh, through administratively calling and everything else and turns out she's not pregnant. Um, she, she wanted attention. So a couple months pass, she calls us again. I'm pregnant. Same story, right? Don't have a place to stay, don't have clothes, don't have food, don't have anything, need your help, make some calls. Can you do all this? Can you do all this? Can you talk to talk to me, encourage me? Um, she's not pregnant. So she calls us again. <laughs> and she says, I'm pregnant. I don't have clothes. <laughs> I don't have food. I don't have a place to stay. Um, uh, can you can you help me out? I need to talk. And it would be natural to say, uh, "We've done this before. <laughs> I don't care if you are pregnant or not. You got to deal with it." Um, but that's how we're different as Christians, right? Christ suffered for us. Oh, so much more. So much more. So we can suffer for him a little more too. And then finally, uh, Christ is here. Um, or Christ is not here, but, but I am. Christ is in glory. Um, he's in heaven. And now it's our responsibility. We're here to make it real to other people. What suffering looks like as a Christian. No one else is going to do it. It's our responsibility. We can use our suffering to share the gospel. And I've thought a lot about this when people ask me about uh, what, you know, why we've adopted Chris, uh, Roman or, or how we're going to tell him he was adopted. And I've tried to be very conscientious of explaining to them the reason. So to give you an example, people ask, like, what are you going to tell Roman? 
to me that is an awesome opportunity to talk about Jesus. Because um, I, I, I'm going to tell Roman that being adopted is not that unusual for Christian. Just like we went through a lot of um, pain and hardship because you were worth adopting, um, we love you so much. We want you to be part of our family and we're willing to do whatever it took to, to bring you to us. God did the same thing. God did the same thing for us. He went through suffering on the cross in the body of Jesus and dying and being raised again so that we could be adopted by him. We are the ones who get to explain what suffering means to the world. In closing, I decided to adopt Roman because I wanted to fill up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions so that the world could see Christ's worth. That they would see him as valuable. Valuable enough to go through whatever was needed to bring more glory to his name. But what does that mean for you? God hasn't called everyone to adopt. God hasn't called everyone to foster children. But we all have choices. We all have choices where we can choose more suffering for Christ's glory or not. And I'm not talking about the choices between sin and not sinning. Yes, you should always choose not sinning. That's easy. I'm talking about the harder choices where there's two goods and one is more, leads to more suffering but Christ will be glorified more. That's what I'm talking about. I, I think of some examples we've seen as a church. Jan and, and Steve, right? They have two goods in front of them. And they, they could stay here and share the gospel and grow our church. But they chose a way of more suffering. This, it will, I mean, it will be more suffering in Abu Dhabi. Why? Because Christ will be glorified. And I think Christ will be glorified more. What are some other examples for us? I think it can be as simple as praying before you eat at work. That could cause some suffering. It could be inviting the coworker or the friend who makes you miserable <laughs> to understand a little more about them. It could be um, forgiving your mom and dad for the things they've done to you in your childhood and opening that relationship back up, even though they're still jerks. It could be giving more in tithe until it really does hurt. Not just out of our abundance, but like the widow. No matter how we choose to suffer, though, we also need to be very clear that, about the purpose. It's not just suffering for, for suffering's sake. Be able to articulate why you're suffering 
so that Christ does get that glory. So all of us must suffer, but sometimes we have the choice. And my prayer for us as a church is that when we have the choice to suffer, that sometimes we'll choose it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we just want you to be glorified. That is the purpose of our lives. That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of our suffering. I want other people to see Christ's worth. I want them to see that you're valuable, that you're real. You're not just words. You're not just fake. But you're so real that we're willing to turn our lives upside down, to feel such intense emotional pain that we, we don't know if we can take it without you. Father, I want us to, as a church, be able to articulate these things, to think about carefully um, our suffering that we choose and how to explain it the, to the people around us, to the church, to encourage our brothers and sisters, and to the church who is not yet the church, who will be the church, the unbelievers that we're witnessing to. Father, I just pray um, for us as a body again that we have the courage and the trust in you to fill up what was lacking, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for Jesus Christ's glory. Amen.